helping organizations win one veteran at a time. This is the Greencastle Podcast, and now your host, Dan Roberts. This individuality stuff is a bunch of crap. There's a reason why. A master of innovation. The key to this growing is you. Any rational person would give up. I can't disagree with that. Make sure that we're not prisoners of our own experiences. You need a team of great people. We'll not tolerate a loser. What they need is a common vision. Welcome to the Greencastle Podcast. Folks, I'm really excited about today's episode. It was an awesome conversation with one of our directors. It does get a little technical at times, so what I did is I went ahead and edited it, um, and you can download that full uncut version off of our website. For you nerds like me who like technical stuff, it gets very much into the weeds of uh, energy solutions, whether it's generation, transmission, distribution, smart grids and meters. Folks, we have it all on there. Again, if you want to go and listen to that, please do. Just go straight to our website, greencastleconsulting.com, and get that. In case you've missed the first couple episodes, please feel free to go back and listen to those. We just give the big why of why we're doing this. And then also we, we walk through our guiding principles as Greencastle. Today we're on the second guiding principle, and it's the principle of adaptability. And I really can't think of a better conversation to have except for this one you're about to listen to. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Troy Bean. All right, folks, I've got Troy Bean here in the in the studio with me today, and it's a really, really great honor to have you in here, Troy. Um, Thank you. Troy's one of our directors, um, and he uh, he's actually the guy that hired me on. Um, so, uh, Troy, just a couple of questions to start off with, just uh, to kind of break the ice. Uh, can you give us just an abbreviated version of your military bio? Sure. Uh, I joined the military in 1998 at the age of 19. I actually uh, enlisted in the Pennsylvania Air National Guard, uh, and I served in the civil engineers for about five and a half years. Um, and then in 2003, after the, uh, the Iraq war started, I decided to change branches and switched over to the Pennsylvania Army National Guard and joined the infantry before I was selected to attend officer candidate school, uh, which I graduated in 2004 and immediately went to Fort Benning to the infantry officer basic course. Uh, after returning there, I became a platoon leader in a striker unit and then uh, moved on to become an executive officer of Delta Company 112th Infantry, which was an anti-tank company. It was also a transition for, from an ADA unit to infantry. So that was quite a learning experience. And then I commanded that unit on a deployment to Iraq in 2009 and then served on the uh, papal visit to Philadelphia. And then for the Democratic National Convention, I was the CHOPS. Um, and then uh, moved on to Battalion S3 for the division, and now I'm uh, looking at a final deployment before I can retire at 20 years. Excellent. Very cool. So then what did you, what did you study in school then? Uh, nothing related. Uh, political science, international relations. Uh, once upon a time, I thought I was going to go uh, be a State Department Foreign Service officer, so I had some interest there. And uh, I took uh, a minor in history and a minor in philosophy. I more of uh, went for the liberal arts, well-rounded, base education, and let the let the military kind of focus my practical skill set. And you have your master's then 
Yes, I uh, recently just graduated from Penn State University with a master's in leadership development. Okay, cool. So, so let me get this straight. You started out in the Air Force as an engineer. Yes. Okay, and then you go to infantry. Yes. Um, and and in the meantime, you do your political science. Yeah. Um, so I started my uh, college career after my second deployment to Saudi Arabia in the Air Force uh, after nine eleven. Uh, so I started at Westchester University, Pennsylvania, in January of two thousand two, uh, and then while completing OCS and infantry basic course and deployment to Katrina, I was able to get a master's and two minors and get it done in four years. Okay, cool. So what do you do here at Greencastle? What, what's, your, what's your title? What, you, what have you done in the past? Just a brief overview of Greencastle bio. Sure. So after uh, returning from my deployment in, uh, to Iraq in 2009, uh, I came home to a little bit of a transitional period because I had worked for DHL Express as a field service supervisor and they had gone through a major reorganization, uh, and that position was eliminated. Uh, so I came back and was doing some odd jobs working as a bartender, you know, trying to make my own way. And a friend of mine, another military, uh, another commander that I had deployed with, was a former Greencastle guy, Pete Muller. Uh, he said, hey, I've got an opportunity for you at Greencastle. You want to come check it out? So I was like, yeah, sure. You know, we'll, we'll see. It sounds interesting. And uh, I was interviewed with uh, Jake Kretzing and Selwood Evans, and I had an offer two days later, and I started the next day uh, with Exelon Energy down in Kennett Square uh, in their commercial uh, retail business, and I was picking up a project for an expansion of a, of a market for uh, retail and wholesale energy, uh, energy sales. Uh, completely new to me, but I, I quickly learned how to adapt and adopt uh, my military leadership experience and decision-making processes into project management theory and application in order to help lead the execution of that market expansion and then on to additional uh, roles. So when I first got there, it, we had expected that uh, role to end uh, within three months, and uh, I was able to get that extended and then expanded uh, into uh, roles for a few other folks as well. Okay. And when you say a few other folks, uh, folks listening, um, how many folks do we have now that work for Exelon? From where we were, we were, we were less. We were only a few folks back then, maybe five. I think we're, we're nearing 20 now, and uh, nearly everybody is working in some way in the energy business and you know, related to Exelon at the current moment. Okay, and you, you're pretty much the primary recruiter now for... Yeah, that kind of that came along. So this was one of those things where uh, with some of the recruiting events, they, you have to step outside of the client work and uh, kind of devote your attention to the candidates that are coming in, uh, you know, do a little bit of background research, give a presentation uh, on the company, and uh, you really devote some time to the follow-up that goes with it. And when we didn't have many folks with the company, it, there was a need for somebody else to do that. And I volunteered. Um, I like talking to folks. So I was like, sure, I'll go meet some folks and I'll tell you what I think about them. And, you know, I didn't have any hiring authority at that point. I was uh, just a management consultant. Um, and I grew a liking to it and it was able to, you know, make some good recommendations and we made some good hires. Uh, other folks that came on and uh, just kind of ran with it. Okay. So 
Um, and I'm going to backtrack here a little bit, but you have Air Force engineer, you have infantry, you have your um, political science uh, degree, you have a leadership master's degree. Um, what prepared you better for this job, this consulting gig slash being a director slash understanding pretty much everything that's going on at Exelon. Was it, was it your, your formal education or was it your military background? I would say that it's a, I've taken elements of all of it that have uh, you know, brought me to where I am. And it's one of the things that I think is one of my greatest strengths is my ability to kind of pull uh, the, the highlights from whatever I'm in and whatever I'm doing in order to advance the next thing. But if I was just going to pick one, um, it would be the, my military experience. I mean, certainly uh, without my military experience, I wouldn't have been given this opportunity uh, to get to where I'm at. And uh, I think that the constant confrontation with uh, you know, an ambiguous environment and the need to get it done, you know, uh, no matter the consequence, uh, kind of put in my mind the uh, framework that I need to conjure up when, uh, when those ambiguous things are presented in the business world. Of course, you don't get to shoot back, but uh, it, the construct, that framework, uh, certainly helps to determine a course of action when uh, one might not seem present. Okay. Yeah, so folks, for you listening, you heard me on, on other interviews ask the same questions. Um, I, I'll make a point pretty much in every, in every interview to, to, to ask the, the, the preparation level, if it's if it's a formal education or if it's military, if it's combination, and and um, these folks are being completely honest. It's not like it's not a leading question. I'm not asking them to tell me beforehand that you know, hey, it's military experience, hands down. Question, no question mark. Um, it, it's totally not a leading question, and I'm getting 100% honest answers from each of them. Um, and, and if you've listened to the past, you know that we're going through our guiding principles. Um, Greencastle's guiding principles. The first one was service. This one's adaptability. Um, so, so we're going to go ahead and trans- transition here into adaptability, which, which Greencastle defines as adjust or make modifications based on the environment in order to improve the situation or reach the objective. So, Troy, I'm going to ask you if you can just kind of dive into that a little bit for our audience so we can start with some background um, specific projects or initiatives that you might have worked on at Exelon? Okay. Um, sure. We'll go back to the Smart Grid Smart Meter program. Uh, it was a broad-based initiative that Greencastle uh, took on. So Greencastle had the program management office for uh, the implementation of a smart grid and smart meters for the entire greater Philadelphia area for PICO. So for our listeners, what exactly then is a smart grid, smart meter? So it's a it's next generation uh, technology so that they could you know, improve the power quality and the service uh, and the reliability of the electrical uh, system uh, while also, you know, reaping the benefits of new efficiency and new functionality. Sure. Uh, so it was a, that was a big program. Uh, it was one of the largest projects Greencastle has undertaken. Uh, it was uh, started in 2009. I think it was about five or six years, uh, nearly, uh, you know, it was three-quarters of a billion-dollar project, included federal grants, uh, so there was a lot of compliance work that had to go into it, financial controls, um, and 
I came into that program after it was already in flight. Uh, after doing some time at Exelon Energy, and I had to leave for some military service, and I came back and I uh, integrated into that team, working uh, to test and prepare some of those new meters to be fielded and assigned to uh, customer properties. So that's one of the adaptable functions of Greencastle is no matter what it is that you have to do, you have to be able to operate at any level because that's where the need is at the time or that's where your expertise aligns. You're not always, not always a linear progression, you know, upward. You know, it's not an up and out kind of thing. It's what needs to be done right now and can you do it and can you fit that and can you adjust to make those things happen in order to benefit. So that was initially, that was something that required me to adapt a little bit from what I had done previously. Having done that, I moved into some of the scheduling work, into some of the risks and issues management, more of the PMO reporting roles as some folks moved in and out. Um, and then I was the, the sole, uh, sole owner of that program after it started to reach its, uh, its closeout. Uh, but then I was able to take that knowledge and experience that we had accumulated as a, as a company and as a team and work my way into a new opportunity in microgrids. So I was like, okay, well, that's pretty interesting. We'll learn a little bit about that. And so I uh, helped with a team of experts at uh, PICO, you know, engineers, regulatory folks, economic development folks, legislative affairs folks, to come up with a proposal to build one of these things. Uh, I think that there's a, there's a bill in the Pennsylvania house that uh, will come up to vote hopefully this month HB 1412 that uh, that we helped uh, support and in, in advance to enable uh, microgrids on a pilot basis in the state of Pennsylvania to improve the uh, electrical system and the advance of new technology uh, for for everybody okay so, so <laughs> I know there's a lot no it's it's actually amazing because there, there are two thoughts that come to my mind um, in the form of two questions, but first of all, you, it is a lot. It's a lot of technical knowledge not my, that not, you've gained. It's, but not, it's, not, it's not where I come from normally, though. You know I mean? I'm more of a right. generalist. I, I work within the team to advance things. Along the way, I've picked up a couple of things and you know, to the point that you know, I'm kind of viewed as a subject matter expert, although I still see myself you know, more as the, the outsider just helping to guide and advance things, no matter what it is, working with the people in the process. Yeah, you know, I, I don't. I don't have a vested interest in the outcomes. Sure, absolutely, and, and it, I mean, you, you string together a bunch of words that most people would never even think to use in the same sentence. Okay. Um, did you ever dream that you'd be doing this when you're no, in your degree? Not at all. No. I mean, like, is this something that you thought maybe in the future you'd work with a utility company as as a strategic thinker? No, and I know you know, I didn't know. Uh, but when I when I started working at Exelon, I'm like working with the energy business. It doesn't sound very exciting, but uh, you know when you get into it, I mean it's all about what you make of things, right? So sure. it's personally being you know, open and flexible and adaptable, uh, and to make the most of whatever your environment happens to be, to see where opportunity lies and go and get it. Yeah, uh, you know to I mean not to use the cliche, but, you know, life gives you lemons, make lemons. I, I wouldn't say that this was lemons, but when you, given, can you create something greater than what is initially perceived? 
And I think that that is something that uh, consultants at Greencastle have an ability to do. And it, I think it's kind of a subjective quality, but it's something that we look for in, in the folks that we hire, is that you're able to find the opportunity in something that just seems mundane and take it to the next level. Okay. So, so then, okay. So then the second question then that I had was, you mentioned that you were with Exelon for a little bit. You were with Greencastle at Exelon for a little bit. You left for military duty and then came back. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just a thought folks for you, for you who maybe are not part of the military, maybe don't have relatives in the military, whatever military folks are expected to, to leave and come back to a job. And it's not just a two-week vacation. They're not just going away for a couple of weeks and coming back. We're talking like typically it's about a year at a time, anywhere from six months to a year at a time. Yeah, that one was that was an eight-month break from Greencastle um, where I had to walk away from what I had developed at Exelon Energy. Uh, so they'd gone through, I helped lead the uh, merger integration between uh, was Constellation and Exelon Energy. Uh, which was also the acquisition of Baltimore Gas and Electric. It was all part of the same. Uh, it was part of the same merger. So for what I was doing in the in the retail, the commercial retail space, uh, I was asked to because I was a third party somewhat. I mean, I was under contract to Exelon, but uh, I was asked to be the intermediary between Constellation and Exelon uh, in the final stages of that merger. So. I was the only one that had all the cards. Uh, and my task was to ensure that nothing blew up on day one after the merger closed. So I had to make the connections between each of the departments and the processes without telling them what the other was doing. I had to tweak them and, you know, pro- you know, still have no authority, but through consulting and suggestion. And, I mean, they all knew what my role was, but... I would sit between the two presidents of the company or the VPs of the departments, the directors or whatever it happened to be, and kind of guide that through. And so we had uh, Mike Mann, who's a former uh, GAC alumni. Uh, he, he joined Greencastle at that time and was part of the team for integrating that. Selwyn Evans helped, uh, helped us kind of develop what that uh, the post-merger integration team looked like. And it was just after... Uh, the merger closing, I think within a month or so, I had to leave for eight months. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so all of that, all of that merger acquisition integration stuff, did you, did you study any of that I, at any I, point in time? Are you, I, I, have I, any legal background, none, any accounting background? None any? whatsoever. Okay. I, I knew, I knew nothing about mergers and acquisitions previously. Never worked on one before. Um, but I had worked within that company and had earned the trust and respect of the leaders there that they would ask me to do that. Okay. Uh, folks, for you listening, um, you don't necessarily know who Troy is. Um, Troy now sits on strategic councils with with the, the higher echelons of Exelon, CEOs, all that kind of stuff of Exelon. Um, so he's clearly won their trust. He clearly did a good job with something in the past that he's done. And I'm not saying this to puff you up, Troy, but I'm, I'm saying this for the benefit of our, our listeners who don't know you. Because um, I'll be honest, I've, I've done mergers and acquisitions in the past. Okay. Um, something I didn't know about you. But, but I won't say that I was nearly as successful. 
but I've done it in the past and, and, and I know it's not an easy task. I mean, like if you have never studied it, if you don't know, you know, um, I learned a lot. And, and then you leave for eight months and you have to come back to find a team that you haven't done anything with for eight months. Complete shift because yeah. they couldn't hold that position and just wait for me that the, you know, it, next man up, right? It's the mission must continue. It's the same thing in the military. You know, somebody somebody has to leave. Somebody gets hurt. You know, you hate to see them go. I mean, you go through a mourning process to see them, you know, shipped off to, you know, Landstuhl or wherever it is, and you, you hope that you can catch up with them when you get home to see that, you know, they've, they've made it through. But it, it's heartbreaking at the moment because, you know, they're family, and you're emotionally invested in seeing things progress. And then you got to get up and leave, and you just got you got to you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps and drive on, and then you come back, and you know that team's still going on; they're still doing the, the thing that you were doing before, but you're not a part of the team anymore. So you could potentially reintegrate, but it is that is imposing that change on the team of the greatest value, or is there another opportunity where you can go start over and see what you make of that? Which so is interesting; it keeps it fresh and new. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it also you know presents some internal conflict and strife, and those kinds of things. When, Things you have to adapt to. So you're explaining perfectly why military is so good at being adaptable. I, I think that's. I think I couldn't have asked for a better response. And I'm not prompting you for any of this. Um, it's just. It's just the way. It's just the answers that come. Let's just make the rubber meet the road here, real quick. Okay. And I and I think we've been doing that. And I think we're getting this this awesome vision of rubber meeting the road. But. And this is not a leading question. I don't want this to be a leading question. I want this to be your 100% honest answer, and I know you'll give that to me anyway. How did you prepare to come into a job and do something you knew nothing about? Uh, well, I didn't. I, I mentally took stock in inventory, which I think that most... Uh, military leaders have done at some point in their lives, you have no idea what to expect, what you're going to do, but you know what you have in your personal inventory. You know what your skill sets are. You know how to interact in the environment you're going to be in. You know what the rules of engagement are. If there's an escalation of force, if that even applies to the scenario that you're in. But you will adapt and overcome whatever the situation is. You'll learn what you can, and you'll take the time to consolidate, reorganize, and, you know, pursue a new direction uh, until you get to a point where you're able to affect your environment and shape it in the place you want to go. I think that that's what military officers do. I think it's one of the reasons why we focus on them as, as a resource to, you know, help our company. Um, you don't find that mix of uh, competence, self-assurance, and resilience anywhere else in society that I'm aware of. Maybe, maybe some sports players, but you know, they're you know they're they're, they're few and far between that are able to get to that same level comparatively you know, per capita. I think that you get many more of those types of outcomes or those types of people that are produced from those experiences in the military than anywhere else. So, so you're mentioning um, that one of the big, big reasons that you seek military officers is, is for that very reason, for the adaptability and, and that ability to overcome. Yeah. 
And in the military, one of the military's unofficial mottos is improvise, adapt, overcome, mm. you know. Um, but what about, what about enlisted veterans? Are, 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 are they going to be coming from the same type For the most mindset? Part, yes, some, somewhat. Uh, some are. I mean, everybody's a little bit different. And not every, look, I, not all officers are great. And I came from the enlisted ranks also. Full disclosure, folks, Troy and I both came from being enlisted before officers. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I will say that the best officers were previously enlisted. And it's because of the, the different environment that you operate in, the different experiences that you see. And you get the opportunity to see bad officers and know what not to do. Um, and you know how to talk to the enlisted folks because you were one, right? So it's, it gives you greater context and, uh, you know, your resume also tends to precede you a little bit. So it gives you some instant credibility as well with folks. Um, but yes, uh, enlisted folks can absolutely do those same things, but as a, their experience in the military. So if we're looking at bringing folks in immediately after, uh, their military service, uh, most, not all, most enlisted folks are more oriented on, uh, task execution and standard enforcement than more broad-based strategic or tactical decision-making. They're fully capable, uh, given the time, training, space, and uh, uh, you know, opportunity to make those mistakes like we give to lieutenants to go, go out and learn. Uh, but they're less, I, I have found personally that they're, they're less likely to take that risk because they want to see that, that uh, standard met in, in, in the execution. But that's not all at all. I mean... We have we have some enlisted folks. Uh, we have I think a warrant officer. I mean, so it's not all just straight up, uh, you know, commissioned officers. It's everybody brings something to the table. It's what you do with what you've had as your experience, how you adapt that to the current state. So if you're able to pull the the benefits of that, but also understand what the new opportunity gets you and how you can play with that and uh, advance yourself and the company. Then you've got that. You've got those things. Like if you have that presence of mind and that confidence uh, to s- step into the void and figure it out, you're, you're probably a, a good match for Greencastle. Okay. And again, I've mentioned this before, folks. If you're interested at all in Greencastle, go to the website greencastleconsulting.com. Uh, we do have uh, a careers page on there. Um, there's a lot of information on there, even if you're just trying to get into contact with us for any reason. Uh, that's the place to go. Um, so, so let's just change directions just a little bit. Okay. Um, you're an infantry officer. Um, when people think infantry, obviously they're thinking the guys that are going out and, and kicking in the doors and doing the shooting and all that kind of stuff, and that's, and that's exactly right. Um, I got to do some of that. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I was, when I was enlisted, I was a, I was actually a medic and I was deployed with an infantry company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a lot, yeah, I agree with you. I, I enjoyed it. It was probably the best time I've had in the military. Um, but how do those skills translate? I mean, I, you don't kick in doors and go shooting things when you're at work, obviously, but how do your how do your infantry skills, the skills that you learned in okay. the military, translate to what you're doing now? So let's just look at it as you know the the raid as a tactic, as a battle drill, as a plan, right? Is uh, is the execution of 
a broader strategy. You you have something that you want to achieve by doing that. It's just one of the tools in your toolkit. So, as a consultant, you know, no, we're not conducting a raid, but I might be conducting uh, a leaders uh, leaders assessment for a new project or program. So, if you're about to go on a raid, you're gonna take your folks out and you're gonna take your key leaders and you're going to evaluate the objective and you're going to pull back and you're going to refine your plan before you go execute, right? We do the same kind of thing. We bring the leaders in, we look at the plan that we have or whatever the project or whatever the objective is in front of us and we have to analyze that, categorize where risks lie, how we're going to set out the overall strategy of what our execution is going to be and then, and then follow through. That, that informs everybody. You get a common operating picture of what needs to occur. Everybody sees the same objectives. They agree to where you're going to go. And then you, s- you set out to get it done. What about enlisted infantry then in that case? I mean, again, these are the dirt kickers and the, and the ground pounders. Yeah. How are those skills, how are those skills translating into the civilian world? I think it's, it's a, a focus on the objective, whatever it happens to be. I mean, you may not... S- you may set out with a certain, you know, plan. Like you were brief what was going to happen, but no plan survives first contact. So now you've, you're faced with new uh, stimuli, you know, what the, the environment uh, is, you know, and the, when the enemy gets a vote, right? So whoever you're, whoever you're working with, the other stakeholders or the over time uh, things that are going to develop in what you thought you were going to do, you're going to have to adjust to. So... You know, the NCO Corps excel at meeting that intent, modifying whatever happens to be, whatever they have to do in order to get there. So over, under, or through. So that's, that's an interesting point because that's uh, one of the things I was taught day one in the military. I go through basic training and you have your mission. And your mission essentially states the who, what, when, where, why. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives you the end state. So as a military, a young military enlisted person, you're taught to do everything you can to reach that end state. You get that end state, but you, what you also get is the commander's intent. Exactly, and that's where and, I was headed so next. The, it is through that. So that is the thing that sets the U.S. military apart from all other militaries in the world, is that we, if you learn nothing else from the order's brief, it's the intent down to the lowest level. You understand the intent. I mean, you go through the five paragraphs, you can at least repeat back, you know, the critical components of that so that, you know, you're not lost in the sauce. But if everything fails, if you know the intent, you can drive through to the objective and complete it. It will look nothing like what anybody briefed, what any rock drill looked like, any rehearsals. But you know what the outcome needs to be in order to see the greater... Uh, benefits of whatever the initiative was, whatever the mission was of the higher level unit, and you can carry forth the day to see that done. Sure, and correct, and correct me if I'm if I'm stating this incorrectly, but that's one of the reasons that veterans are so useful in the civilian world is that they know as long as the as long as they've been given clear guidance as to what the intent is and what the end state is, they're going to do everything they can. To They'll get find there. a way. Yeah, they're, they're not going to be stopped. At, well, I. I uh, my boss told me to, you know, do A, B, and C, and I'm, I'm out of B, so I'll just wait until he comes back and brings it to me. He's like, well, no, I, 
I know what the relation is of B between A and C, and I'll go around to find it, or I'll compensate for it and make D, and we'll get to whatever it happened to be. I mean, yeah. Okay. No, that's good. That's good. So, so this is where I want to transition back into your 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 recruiting role. Okay. Uh, Greencastle is obviously committed to hiring veterans. It's a hundred percent of our workforce right now are veterans. Founded by veterans, veteran operated. As you said, everybody that works for the company right now is a veteran or is still currently serving in the Guard or Reserve. Sure. And most, most employers nowadays are they're also committed to hiring veterans because they, they have veteran hiring programs, whatever. So, so what's one thing that you would like for hiring managers to understand when they're considering hiring veterans? Okay, that's a good question. I've said something previously to a group of veterans at a veterans event that was actually uh, led by the Greater Philadelphia Veterans Network. And you know, there's all kinds of different hiring managers there. Some, some of the hiring managers are vets. If you have a vet in your company that can talk to people and relate to people and can give that kind of insight, get them on that team. Because a vet that can talk to a vet is going to be able to see things that you want. Uh, you know, veterans are kind of a different breed. Uh, they are, there is a subculture uh, that they have. And they recognize each other on the street that you would, I mean, things that just aren't there. So if you have a vet that you can add to the team, if you're going to be hiring veterans, do that because you'll, you'll be able to learn more about who they are and what they bring. When I do my interviews, I do not do it at a desk or at a table or in any formal way whatsoever. I just want to have a conversation with them. I just want to know who they are, where they come from. Tell me your story. What do you bring to the table? And the reason why I do that is because in the military and in the soldier's experience, any time that they are presented with that formal uh, evaluation, it's not good. It's because something's going wrong. Or it's they're fighting for a promotion competing with 30 other people. It's, It's almost a punitive engagement. And so their understanding, I mean, they don't think that going in, that it's going to be bad, but it's, they've had that experience previously, and the stress that kind of comes with that you know, judgment uh, in, the, in that time isn't going to get you maybe the, the best connection. You could say that, well, that's, that's weeding people out that I don't want in my company. Well, okay, maybe. But what you're also weeding out is the amount of adaptability and experience that we've talked about that... Uh, military veterans get like dollar for dollar year for year of experience you know a 10-year military veteran will outperform a 20-year corporate uh person or you know almost every time just because of the pace and responsibility that they're given at a young age and at a young rank And, and folks, I told you earlier, Troy's actually the one that recruited and, and interviewed me for the first time. So hearing this from the other side of the table is actually very interesting. Oh, sure. Um, and, and what you say is absolutely correct, and I'll just expound on it a little bit. Veterans know a good veteran, but they also know a bad veteran. Yeah. Like, from, from, from the first uh, interaction, like, you, you can read them quick. Yes. So, so yeah, that's that's actually an extremely good point to make. Is that if there is a veteran in your organi- in your organization, get them on that team for sure. Because um, again, to a civilian, to an untrained eye, a veteran is a veteran is a veteran. 
and and that's really not the case. There's more baked in there than than you know. So a guy coming, guy or girl coming right off of active duty, you know their resume. You may not know how to read, or see the value of the positions or the progression that they had. I went from you know this assignment, and then two years later I went to this assignment, and two years later I went to this assignment. Okay, well what are those things? So I was a I was a platoon leader. I was an executive officer. I was a company commander. That's that's a fast moving player. Could be, you know, I was uh, I was an administrative officer. I was a logistics officer. I was a signal officer. I was, yeah, uh, uh, you know, motors motor officer. That guy's not going anywhere. Right? He's he's circulate he's circling around at the same echelon, giving no greater responsibility, just a different view. They're trying to give him an opportunity to succeed to find what works for him, where his strengths fit so that he can advance. But he was all at the same level. I mean, so you looked at those three things. I, did you know that that was a progression? I don't know. How do you know? Unless you get a veteran to kind of explain it to you and understand what those things are. And I don't know. I mean, I'm an Army guy and an Air Force guy. So I look at a Navy resume. I got to go find, you know, the Navy guys and be like, look, this, this, what is this? Like, what is, I don't understand this. What does this make sense? And so even within... You know, I've got almost 20 years of military experience, and I do hiring, and I interact a lot. I still don't know all that stuff. So it is that um, focused or specialized that you need somebody with uh, a view to that to be able to uh, piece it together. Well, this has been a great conversation, Troy. I mean, I think I think it's hit the nail on the head to, as what we're trying to do here, and that's helping veterans understand how their skills translate and helping civilian hiring managers understand the value of a veteran. Um, last question, where can, where can our audience connect with you? Sure. Uh, I do most of my interacting with the world digitally through LinkedIn. Uh, so you can just search my name, Troy Bean on LinkedIn. Uh, and you know, I'll come up, I'll be the handsome man with a goatee and no hair. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. Again, folks, this is the Greencastle podcast. If you are interested at all in Greencastle, it's just greencastleconsulting.com. Thanks again, Troy, for joining us today. Thanks, Dan. It's been a pleasure. That was my conversation with Troy Bean. What a great conversation that was. There's just so much information. Folks, seriously, if you want to listen to the entire interview, please just go to our website, greencastleconsulting.com slash podcast can see that entire episode be able to listen to it online or download it Uh, just again so much so much rich content well thanks again for joining us Uh, i hope you have a good week join us again in a couple of weeks for our next episode on loyalty Uh, taking a deep dive into loyalty thanks again folks